This is the Convergent Science Network podcast. Leading researchers in the domain of neuroscience, brain theory and technology are interviewed by Paul Verschur and Tony Prescott. So this is Tony Prescott for the Convergent Science Network podcasts from the Barcelona Summer School on Cognition, Brain and Technology in 2011. And I'm here with Husong Hu from the University of Essex Department of Computer Science and Electronic Engineering, who is one of the speakers that we have this week on the general topic of biomimetic robots. So, uh, Husong, can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you became a roboticist? <clears throat> uh, I came to this country, uh, UK, I mean, uh, 25 years ago, and before that, I was working in the Chinese university. Uh, my major is uh, automation. So when I joined the uh, Oxford University, work with Mac, Professor Mike Brady, I started doing robotics. So that will be back to 1987. So I started working with uh, uh, industry, try to uh, produce the new generation of AGV for uh, manufacturing of the uh, industry. So start from there, and then I developed my interest in uh, my uh, 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 research in the biomimetics uh, or biologically inspired robotics. So you've, you have some background in industrial robotics, yeah. but your work in recent times has been more directed towards service robotics yes. and field robotics. Yes. So um, tell me about your interest in, in field robotics. How did you get involved in underwater robots? Yeah, uh, underwater robots is one kind of field robotics. And uh, I'm also work on the uh, uh, wheeled and the tracked robots and the flying robots as well. Uh, the reason I got into the underwater robots because we have uh, industry uh, approaching to us and uh, try to create the uh, 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 robotic fish for London Aquarium because uh, by law and uh, that they have many fish species cannot be displayed in the aquarium environment. So they want to create the robotic equivalent uh, uh, species for demonstrate uh, how this fish species can swim in the sea, in the aquarium environment. So you started off really building a robot fish for exhibits. Yes. Um, and But you've started now moving them out into the ocean? Yeah, just the uh, last two years, we have uh, support from EU and uh, FP7 framework, and uh, we try to develop robotic fish to patrol ports and uh, monitoring uh, shipping, uh, ship uh, oil leaking problem and also other kind of pollutions may cause the uh, damage to the sea lives. So this is a three-year project. We work with the, a number of partners uh, in EU, like uh, BMT, and uh, Irish partner, and also Tainas, and also Spanish partner as well. So what would be the advantage uh, in open sea of a robot fish compared to a conventional submarine-style robot? 
Yeah, the fish, as we know, first thing is the swi- swimming peacefully without disturbing environment, because uh, submarine of ship like they use the thrust generated a lot of turbulence in the water, which is no good for uh, sea lives, and also is uh, maybe disturbing uh, uh, pollution. Uh, 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 area as well, so fish is more peaceful uh, and also more uh, flexible in the in many of the narrow uh, pathway, for example. And what about uh, energy efficiency? Is it similar or better than a submarine? Yeah, the as we know, the submarine type of the man-made uh, ships. Uh, efficiency is up to sixty percent, but the fish theoretically is is higher than the uh, man-made vehicle because uh, after millions of years evolution, fish is is excellent swimmer in the in the water. They have, uh, uh, of course, the the, the body shape. And make the fish swimming much efficient, and also they, uh, uh, the 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 muscle movements also make the fish is very skillful as well. So you're copying the streamlined shape of the fish, and you're also copying uh, the the type of movement it's making in order to pro- propel itself. Yeah. Uh, is it is the robot biomimetic? Uh, in any other way, for instance, in terms of the components that you're using to build it, or are, is in, within the robot are you using conventional motors and yes, uh, conventional? Uh, ideally, we hope many researchers actually start use the uh, uh, some kind of artificial muscle try to mimic the real muscle movement of the fish, but uh, at the moment, the artificial muscle is not mature enough for us to use it. So what we did. We use normally traditional conventional uh, motors to drive the uh, uh, fish movements. And what about the uh, pattern generation systems that are generating the swimming movement? Yes, that's that's what we call the central pattern generator, yeah. and that's generated by software. And right. uh, after we we actually have uh, used the camera to capture the real fish movements, we analysis movements, and then to decide the face difference because the uh, f- real fish use muscles. So muscles can be considered as continuous uh, uh, actuator. But we use discrete uh, motors. Motor has different size. Even we choose a small size, we only can accommodate four or five or six motors in one fish. So fish we build is about 60 centimeters length in total. So the half of the body with the four or five motors, that's we call the discrete uh, joints to actually generate the S movement of the real fish. Oh, okay. So is it a segmented body? Yeah, segmented body. And each segment is actually motor, one motor. Right. And what about the fins? How do you uh, how many of the fins are you replicating and how important are they? Yeah, the fins is actually uh, 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 has the main uh, dorsal fin, for example, is generated a uh, uh, propeller force f- 
for our fish. And of course, fish also has anal fins, had bacterial fins, and try to make sure the balance of the fish. So you'd be using those for steering. Uh, we balance. yeah we just that is only for the stationary static balance, but once the fish move in the motion, and we really use the motor to drive it. And what about sensors? What kind of sensors do you use? We have uh, a number of sensors inside our fish body, and uh, one uh, is gyroscope to actually measure the uh, posture of the fish in the water to maintain the balance. We also had a force sensor to measure the depths in the water to decide the 3D swimming. And also we had an accelerometer to, to measure the speed of the fish as kind of a dormitory. A dormitory. We also have obstacle detection sensor, infrared, and uh, to detect anything in front of the fish in order to avoid it. Of course, we had a, a voltage monitoring sensor to see whether the energy is enough or not. If the energy is not enough, we're going to floating on the surface. Right. Just in case. Oh, okay. So you have. Uh, how do you control your height within the water? The, to control the height in the water, and uh, as we know, real fish has bladder. Mm -hmm. They can station in one level without a motion. So we mimic the bladder function, use the water tank inside of the fish by pumping into the water or pump out of the water to actually change the weight of the fish, change the buoyancy. So this is only statically, but for the dynamically, you want to change the level of the fish, go up or go down. We actually use a mo one motor to drive the central gravity towards the head or towards the tail. So in order to fit the fish to swim up or swim down, very, very agile and, uh, and very, very uh, speed uh, operation. So uh, I'm thinking about sort of pollution monitoring. So I can imagine that you might just have a boat and then you could trail something out of the side of the boat on the end of a line. How would having a robot that's submerged be better than than other ways of doing that? Uh, yeah, the, because it depends on the um, the depth of the of the water you are going to monitor. For example, we have the port in Spain. It's called the Jihan, and uh, which has depths of thirty meters. So, the pollution if we use the ships on the surface may not be able to detect uh, anything beyond 10 meters or seabed, for example. So to use the fish, we can automatically to change the depth going to the seabed to actually detect anything pollution is there or not, especially we want to search the source of the pollution. So w once you put your fish in the ocean, how does it know where to go and how to We actually back? use the structured environment. We put a right. buoy uh, uh, surrounding the port to send out the ultrasonic signal, sonar signal. And the fish has the receiver on board 
to receive the signal. This is kind of like underwater GPS? Yes, exactly. Yeah, right, okay. So it knows where it is, and it, but you're never worried about that it won't come back? <laughs> oh, yes. We, 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 we actually have to prevent in case of uh, underwater GPS f malfunction. Fish may get lost. So in that case, fish going to floating on the surface. We use the GPS. Right, so you can use the... Use yeah, the GPS. GPS, satellite yeah, GPS. Yes, because yeah. the antenna will be floating over the surface of the water. Then GPS signal can be received, and then we can navigate back to the to the home position. So, um, how close do you think we are to having uh, a technology that might be commercialized for this sort of use? Yeah, this uh, project we are running now is third year. So we hopefully we're going to test this in the port next year, next May. And after that, I think we need a, a couple more years to refine it and improve the performance. I imagine maybe three or four years time from now on, we could have uh, some commercial uh, products on the market. And what other application areas might there be besides pollution monitoring? And also uh, security, for example, uh, and some of the coastline, they wanted to secure uh, for different reason. So we can use this kind of fish technology actually to detect any illegal uh, ships or any illegal uh, animation. Right. Yeah. So it could be part of the coast guard. Uh, yes. Or it could be part of the customs and excise exactly. kinds of things. Yes. Okay, so, um, so changing subject a little bit, I know that you have an interest in building assistive robots for people with disabilities. Yeah. Um, can you give me an example of the kind of projects that you're doing there? Yeah, um, this uh, uh, is try to help disable an aging population uh, because and the one people getting old or people disabled, they have difficult to move around or independent life has been out of question. Uh, uh, so what we try to help is mobility to help these people move around integrated with the society and that they can see the doctor if they want. They can see the relatives or friends go out if they want. So that's the main purpose. As we know currently, commercial wheelchair only been driven by joysticks. And the many users have difficulties to navigate with joystick, even go through the doorway. Uh, for example, users suffer Parkinson's disease. Their hand is shaking in many times they may not be able to use uh, joysticks. And some of disabled people, they may be suffering uh, 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 no hand, for example. It's also difficult to use. So in that case, we think about the other means. For example, we use the voice, we use the gesture, use the uh, muscle signal, even for severe disabled users. We use like a hawking. Professor Hawking, and uh, cannot move any limbs, and then if they are m 
brain function well, we use EEG signal to control uh, 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 the wheelchair movements. So you want to record EEG, sort of an electroencephalogram. Um, so this is uh, electrical activity uh, from nerves, which you record by placing sensors on the skin. Yes. Yeah. And uh, whereabouts would you put the sensors? Which, we which actually put the sensors the in, the uh, in the skull, uh, on the motor cortex area. Right. Okay. And, uh, and the users actually can just imagine uh, his hand movements, his or her uh, neck movements, then generate the uh, 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 control commands for the, uh, for the wheelchair to uh, being controlled. So this is the part of the brain, the motor cortex, which is anyway involved in motor control. Yes. And so you're hoping that by recording through the skull some yeah. of the electrical activity, yeah. you may be able to distinguish when the user wants to, say, turn left yeah. or wants to turn right. That's right. So, I mean, is this uh, does this work? I mean, is it possible really to, to read these things from that yes. kind of brain activity? Right now, we, we actually uh, have some results. Uh, although it's not uh, real time, uh, and sometimes the success rate is maybe up to 70%. So we think the, be the, 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 the key problem is the sensor. Right now, we, we use non-invasive uh, uh, electro on the, on, the, on the skull, and uh, the, the signal is very weak. So we have to improve the uh, sensor technology. So we hope by the next few years, if the sensor, EEG sensor can be further improved, then we can use such technology. This is one thing. And also on the other thing is we think maybe uh, multiple uh, uh, modality, not just EEG, and also a facial, also other uh, 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 biosignal can be help uh, combine with EEG if if possible. Uh, what other kind of signal are you thinking of? Like a facial uh, right. uh, emotion, facial uh, eye movements, uh, uh, and uh, mouth movements. Simply that clue also can reflect people needs. Okay, so if I'm a wheelchair user and I, I'm wired up. With these electrodes on my yeah. uh, sc on my head, um, what do I have to do to make the wheelchair move? Is it enough that I think I want to go left and then it will turn, or do I have to learn the relationship between my thought patterns and what the wheelchair does? Yes, uh, we do need a training. Right. We need a, mm, every user to training, uh, uh, generate imaginary imaginary signal. For example, user can think about use the right hand or use the left hand or use the legs. So we can generate the electric pattern on the uh, 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 transducers. Then we need a training our, we use the neural network uh, and, uh, and we need a training all the, uh, all the parameters. So you train, so you record uh, these EEG patterns. Yeah for people thinking about a particular kind of movement, yeah. and you train a neural network with those patterns to distinguish left, thoughts about moving left from thoughts about moving right. Sure, right. yeah. Uh, and um, so roughly speaking, um, how much training data would you need I mean, from a person? Would you need to several hours of EEG, or could you do it quite quickly? Uh, we normally 
doing uh, uh, several hours. Right. We're normally doing several hours. And would that person, having trained on, on their data, would it be stationary or would you need to train again? If you, if you came back two weeks later, would it be different or would it, yeah. would it still work? Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, uh, people, they have uh, diverges because the, they are mental condition. Mm-hmm. For example, if a user sleep very well last night, th- so today they may be function very well. If they are not f- sleep very well last night, they may not be get a useful signal today. So in that sense, our uh, uh, algorithm have to be more adaptive. So we call the online learning. Right. So what we want to do, not just offline, and also we want to online continuously uh, change the parameters of our neural network, for example, to adapt the new stages of the mental stage of the users. Okay, so um, where have you got to in terms of testing these? Have you got people uh, driving around with wheelchairs and controlling them uh, just with their thoughts? Have you got some prototype results now? Yes, we do. We did, and uh, we have right now is health subject. It's all, in fact, uh, 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 our PhD students. Right. So next stage, we hope to get some disabled uh, people or trial uh, in the real users. So the how how good are the students then? Can they, for instance, drive the um, the wheelchair through a narrow doorway? Yeah, and uh, they can do in the. Uh, 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 navigate in the indoor environment in general, uh, no problem. Without bumping into things? Yes, because uh, the control system has prevent right. uh, any bumping into anything, use the sensors. Oh, so there are sensors on the wheelchair as well yes. to prevent collisions. So yes. That, so that you have a backup in case the the brain reading system is not working very e- well. Exactly. So, that, so the wheelchair is independently uh, sensing the environment and making some decisions about when to stop yeah. or when to go. Yeah. And then really what you're doing is reading the person's brain state in order to bias what the robot, or what the wheelchair is going to do. Yeah, either yeah. EEG signal or muscle EMG signal and also maybe other signal like a voice, like a hand gesture or head gesture, use the vision-based. It's, this is all we call the hands-free control. It's on top of the navigation system. So all this human intention, biosignal, I mean, to detect by the sensors, use the control the wheelchair motion. But at the bottom of the wheelchair control system, we have safety control system there with the uh, laser scanner, with the ultrasound sensors. They can monitor surrounding object of the wheelchair. If any object is close to the uh, uh, moving direction of the wheelchair, the human intention commands will be not ex- executed because of a safety issue. Okay, so uh, you're fairly confident that the, the wheelchair can move around safely with the per- even if the person falls asleep. Sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, yeah. or give the wrong commands. Yeah. Because sometimes that happens. So I guess uh, for... Uh, when you want to use this in earnest, um, gluing electrodes to people's skulls isn't going to be very popular with wheelchair users. Have you got a, a plan for how to make this interface more easy to use? 
Yes, what we try to do is we try to use variable sensors, right, and uh, to like uh, put the sensor on the uh, on the head, right. Uh, put the sensor on the maybe a glass, some sensors, and also put the sensors on the body, or, or in the clothes, right. Make the make the uh, uh, sensors wearable, portable, and uh, and uh, com- compact, so. People wouldn't the wouldn't the uh, wouldn't the uh, how to say people would like uh, wouldn't bother yeah. by this kind of technology. Right, and does uh, does the technology already exist for, for instance, um, voice control of wheelchairs? The voice control wheelchair and uh, has been. Developed for several years now, but uh, not much use in the real situation because uh, the background noise may, may cause problem, and also people with different accent and also has needed training as well. So I can imagine in the future we have to combine different modality with the voice, for example, voice with the with the visual signal, for example, if we use microphone to catch up the human no- voice, at the same time we use the camera to catch up the deep motion. So then we can confirm the user comments by tracking the deep motion and also the voice to emphasize to actually make it more robust, given background noise. Is very loud. So um, you're confident that these kind of uh, controlled wheelchairs then are, are going to be something that people will be using in in maybe a few years' time. Uh, that's exactly. Recently, we have a charity uh, would like to uh, invest uh, in this area. So we have a plan to uh, commercialize in three or four year time. So. Uh, m- Moving sort of broader questions about robotics, mm. what do you see as the really big challenges uh, in in the field in the next few years? The, the things that are maybe the bottlenecks that are stopping us from building more intelligent robots, more useful robots. Right, I think that the key challenge is the sensing of the environment, sensing of the human intention. Um, as we know, the robots is the integration of the sensor technology and also AI and the learning ability. Of course, actuation side as well. I think uh, 21st century is robotic century, means the robots can bring the benefit to our society to improve our quality of life, exactly like a computer technology, and change our lifestyle, change our working style in last century. So, but the key problem here now is the how we created the interface between human and the robots. And right now, there's still a big gap. The all the robots have to be used by the people with training. And uh, so, if we want the robots going to individual home, the robots have to be easy to use without 
training on the programming side. Otherwise, still 80% users wouldn't be able to use robots. So uh, to finish off then, what would be a prediction you might make about uh, the future of our society and how we might be using robots in, in say, 10 or 20 years from now? What, what, can you think of an example of one big change that robotics is going to bring about in our society? Uh, I think, uh, as I said earlier, 21st century is a robotic century, and I can see a lot of different form of robots or different kind of uh, robots going to enter our homes and uh, hospitals and everywhere, especially for the uh, dangerous uh, situation like uh, search and rescue work, uh, like a nuclear disaster, these kind of things, and also many of the housework as well. I can imagine 20 years' time, uh, many of the uh, the robots going to be uh, portable and also going to be uh, wearable. And for example, in the future, our soldier in the battlefield may have some kind of GPS system located themselves and uh, and been tracking by the by the army to set for the safety purpose. And also many of the facilities at home with the with the robotic technology for example even like a fridge they can tell users the milk is going finished you have to bring milk from the uh, supermarket or maybe get the robot to bring milk from the supermarket yeah and oh. also <laughs> remember uh, 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 we can see some kind of uh, iPhone is kind of robots as well, if, if that's the meaning. Right. Well, thank you very much for talking us, to us. Uh, so this is Tony Prescott. I've been talking to uh, Huseng Hu. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. The CSN podcast was produced by the Convergent Science Network of Biomedics and Biohybrid Systems project funded by the European 7th Research Framework Programme. For more interviews, recorded lectures, or upcoming conferences in the field of biomimetics and biohybrid systems, go to csnnetwork.eu. And thank you for listening.